This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. What's good? What's good? What's good? This your boy Marcus Harvey from Ghost Brothers. What's happening, man? It's your boy Dayla Spratt from Ghost Brothers. And this is Jawan Mass from the Ghost Brothers. We like to give a big shout out to the Hillbilly Horror Stories. Hillbilly Horror Stories, where your stories is from a hillbilly and it's kind of horror Because it's Hillbilly Horror Stories. That was terrible, Dalen. Yeah. I, I tried. Tune into the podcast. We up in here. Ghost Brothers. Hey, guys. Welcome to episode 272 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. Hey, everybody. Hope y'all had a wonderful day. Me too. I had a wonderful day. I sat here and worked on stories while you y'all went sh- out to the mall. You sure did. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you got to do when you got a trip coming up. You got to do a whole week's worth of work and cram it into two weeks before. I know it. You've been working very hard. Well, Tracy, obviously we want to start off by thanking all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thanks to all of you for what you do every single day. Absolutely. Thank you guys for keeping us safe and protecting us. Um, We pray for you guys every day. I'd like to give a shout out to my nephew, Kyle Floor. He just graduated. Uh, He is now a police officer. In our town, well, not my town, but in Kentucky now. So we're very proud of him. And but you guys, we just appreciate y'all so much, and pray for you guys every day. Thank you for being our angels on this earth. Absolutely. You know, Tracy, we've gotten a lot of uh, people sending us emails recently mm-hmm. talking about their mental struggles. Yeah, and the positivity part, or I guess I should say the positive part. It's the fact that a lot of people are saying that they had struggles and they've been able to overcome some of them. Wonderful. So that is a good thing. And we, we've had a lot of people very thankful for the group and responding in the group saying so. Yes, you guys are amazing. Thank you guys so much for reaching out to those who need help. And that's why we are so proud of you guys. Just remember, if you've got something going on, no matter what it is, there is absolutely zero shame in talking to someone about your mental health. Mm-hmm. We need to get rid of that stigma out there. That's the problem. More times than not, is there's just a stigma that everybody's got to be this big tough person and handle everything on their own and keep everything bottled up. And that's not, that's a, the absolute worst thing you can do. I mean, you know, that's right. You got to have somebody to talk to, whether it's a stranger or somebody you know, reach out to the group. You know, like we said, they're there for you always. Um, you know, if you don't want to go that route, you can call the 1-800 number at 273-8255. You can also text at 741-741, but you guys are never alone. You can reach us anytime, day or night. Awesome. Tracy, this story tonight is a little bit longer. We don't have any kind of interviews or anything tonight on this, this episode, but mm-hmm. this is a longer story. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to jump into that in a second. 
I do want to say we have a special event that kind of got thrown on us here last minute. And I want to mention it because I told him I would. But the guys at Terror Town, which is just south of Cincinnati, this place, it's it's literally a whole town that looks like an old west town. And it's, you know, with like the saloons and all that stuff. Oh, cool. But it's a haunted trail. You've got the town. you got a bunch of stuff going on. This thing has won so many awards for the Cincinnati and the Ohio area. This place is absolutely amazing. And it's one of those places where... If you want to, it can be a pretty extra scary place to oh. where they say they can pull you away from your group. Yeah, no. Touch you a little bit. Not, but that's if, if you choose to go that route. Right. So you've got options here. You don't have to go that route. But this place looks absolutely phenomenal. And why am I bringing it up? Because Dalen Spratt from Fright Club, which is new on, and they're getting ready to start a podcast. It's, it'll be the... Uh, the first Travel Channel's ever podcast. They're getting ready to start that. That's just got announced in the last day or so. Awesome. But obviously they're from Ghost Brothers, which you heard us play the little Ghost Brothers thing at the beginning. <laughs> but Terror Town has Dalen Spratt there, and they have chose chosen us to do a an exclusive one-on-one interview on their main stage. No, oh Which gosh. we will obviously be recording awesome. for the podcast, but I mean... If you guys can make it out, obviously, I think you got to pay the price to get in there. It's like $25, I think, admission. But you get all the Terror Town stuff, the Haunted Trail and all that. Uh, but you could also watch us interview Dalen. And I'm sure he'll probably hang around a little bit. I don't know that for a fact, but he may hang around to say hi to some people and stuff. Oh, cool. So they're not expecting a bunch of people to actually be at this. It is on their main stage. And they said there'll be some people probably filtering in and out. But they're not expecting like a big group to show up. So if you guys do want to come out and show up, you're probably going to have it pretty much to yourself. Oh, all right. So, but anyway, this place is really cool, and we get to do that with Dalen. And uh, we've already submitted our list of questions, but Tracy and I will both be up on stage interviewing him, and it's going to be really cool. But if you can't come, if you're not in the area, obviously, to be on the podcast next mm-hmm. week. Awesome. That's so awesome. What a treat. It is. And okay. I love the Hillbilly Horror song. It's oh, yeah, like yeah. totally and cool. That's, and that's actually <laughs> Dalen singing that, that part. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was pretty fun. That was from Scarefest a couple years ago. Uh-huh. Ran into <laughs> Super nice guys. Can't wait to do it. Oh, this. yeah, definitely. Okay. Tracy, I felt that it would be nice to do a Texas story since we're going to be in Texas in a couple of weeks. Okay. Now, it would make sense to do a story from the Dallas-Fort Worth area since that's where we're at during that time. And that was kind of my intention. But I ran into a story while I was researching Texas stories Mm -hmm. that is from San Antonio, and I completely fell in love with it, so I decided to do that one instead. All right. Must be a good one, then. It is, because like I said, I would like to do one from the area to kind of get people pumped up. Hey, we could go out there, and this would Mm -hmm. be in the area, and we can go check it out. But I'm telling you, this is one of those stories that when when you see we get into it, it's probably going to be in my top 10 stories of oh, favorite stories. Today. Dang. And I hadn't even heard of this place before just stumbling across. That's why. Let me explain how I do some stuff. When I research, sometimes I will go, and I mentioned this before, I'll go on YouTube and I'll look at lists. And they might have the top 10 scariest places here, or top 10 haunted places, or top 20 in the world whatever and i look at at these places and then if I, something catches my attention especially something i haven't heard of then i'll start researching a bunch on that and then 
after I've looked at a bunch of stuff, I'll decide, do I want to do a story on that? Is it good enough to do a story now or do I want to put it on a list for maybe to do down the road? And as I was looking at a bunch of stories in Texas, I was looking at haunted list. I looked at haunted Dallas. I looked at haunted Fort Worth. And then I looked at haunted Texas just to see if something snuck in there that I didn't know about that would be closer and I ran into the story. Like I said, it's in San Antonio, but it was like, once I started digging into it, you're going to see, I could have made, you know, I talk about how many pages these things are when I, my notes and the bit longest stories we've ever done, I think was 37 pages. And the bigger stories are 28, 29 pages. Our average story is probably about 24. So we've, if we do a, our normal story, it's probably about 24 pages. This one ended up being about 28 or 29 pages, and I probably could have went to 35 if I just kept going on it. It was, you know, some of it was kind of repetitive, so I didn't want to get too far into it. But anyway, now I'm getting repetitive, so. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I might try to find a, a Dallas story for next week, so maybe we'll have back-to-back Texas stories. Mm-hmm. Our subject tonight is a wedding venue nestled in the heart of San Antonio along the bank of Salado Creek. Victoria's Black Swan Inn. Mm, sounds kind of nice. It sits on 35 acres of plush ground covered in 100-year-old oak and pecan trees, lavish gardens, and lawns. It's got a charming patio with a large stone fountain and a wraparound veranda to its beautiful garden-closed gazebo. The properties are unique country setting. That description I just read, if you could probably tell I was reading, Mm -hmm. that is actually straight from the website. So they know what they're talking about. Yeah. I saw some pictures of this place. It's phenomenal. So we've got a lot to discuss here. When it comes to the history of of this location, the house has plenty of history. And we're also going to, you know, we're going to discuss that as we go. But the land has so much more history than even the house, which we're also going to discuss. So I think this story will fascinate most of you guys. Let's start with the house. But I'm probably going to go back and forth with this on the land and the house and the house and the land as I tell the history because you'll see some of it intertwines. Okay. The house was built in 1867 on this historic site, which was the battlefield of the 1842 Battle of Salado. Okay. You can already see that this is probably going to play into the paranormal activity, just like in Gettysburg and Mm -hmm. these other uh, places where you have these uh, battlefields out there. This, the house itself is an elegant two-story Greek revival style plantation home. It's on a grassy knoll that overlooks Salado Creek. The house has been home to some of the most prestigious people to ever live in San Antonio. Wow. And let me say this. They, embrace the hauntings here when you go to their website it talks about it being a haunted place and they advertise it as a hauntingly romantic location for your wedding or special event and then uh, they also offer ghost tours okay sounds good they they know what they got there Uh so that's a little bit about the house itself let's talk about the land from 5500 bc Whoa, a little bit before my time. (laughs) To around 1000 AD, the area was home to several different uh, tribes of Native Americans. 
Artifacts are still uncovered here on a regular basis today. This includes the part of the land where the house currently sits. An ancient Native American burial ground is thought to be underneath of the house. Oh, gosh. There That's have, not good. <laughs> no. There have also been signs of a sweat lodge where Native Americans perform rituals. And there's been altars, stone altars and stuff down there that are literally from the year 1000. Oh, my gosh. That, that is are, so exciting. Yeah. In that area, even before the house was built, some boys were scared to death while they were out trying to fish by some skeleton-type figures that chased them away from a watering hole while they were out there trying to fish. Yeah, not going to catch no fish that way. <laughs> the boys felt like that they were Native American ghosts because of the type of clothing that they were wearing. Mm -hmm. So they had skeleton-type figures with, mm -hmm. with Native American stuff clothes. On. Yeah. Some people in the area have also smelled smoke and heard light sounds of drums as they're just out listening. And I know people be like, um, you're out in the country, there's probably going to be smell of smoke. But it's a different kind. It's not like wood burning from a campfire yeah. or something. Here's a very strange fact that I found. The Native Americans that called this place home during that time all disappeared long before European settlers ever got to Texas. So this land was basically vacant, abandoned. And that was hard to find back in the day because you had Native Americans were all over the United yeah. States. And as European settlers were coming in towards the East Coast, they were pushing the Native Americans further west. So for this to be in Texas and, and not and, have anybody on there yeah, since, a, since a thousand, because you got to realize, so, so like we said, they were here from 5500 BC to 1000 AD. After that, this area was pretty much left alone by Native Americans. And I just find that curious. Yeah, that is bizarre. I wonder why. Yeah, because the uh, European settlers didn't get there till like the 1800s. So it's 800 years of that land pretty much being vacant. So we're going to talk a little more about that as, as we get a little more into the paranormal side. But you can see the area already has some strange history. So let's talk more about the War of 1842 that we talked about, the Battle of Salado. January 9th, 1842, General Mariano Arista sent a message to Texans. He was pretty, pretty bold. He said, Mexico is going to retake Texas. If you join us, you will be given amnesty. If you resist, then God may sort you out. Oh, damn. In August 1842, that was January, so eight months later, the Mexican army crossed the border and invaded Texas. On September 18, 1842, General Adrian Wool, W-U-L-L, Sam Houston, and his men massacred 60 Mexican soldiers during the bloody Battle of Salado. Their bodies were left where they fell to rot. Oh my gosh. Only one Texan died during that battle, a man by the name of Stephen Jett. So 61 people died on that area. But the majority day. of them was the Mexicans. Yes, 60 to 1. So that didn't go over as well as they thought. <laughs> so there's actually been a report of, uh, there was a couple of people that were together, so it wasn't two different sightings, one sighting, but it was a couple of people who saw what they thought was a reenactment of the Texas and Mexican armies having a battle in the area. Turns out there was no reenactment, so 
I don't know. It's probably uh, a residual energy playing out right there. Oh my gosh. How cool. The land where the Victoria Black Swan Inn, or I should say, I said the, but Victoria's Black Swan Inn, was originally settled in 1867 by some Swiss uh, immigrants by the name of Sebastian Ripstein and his wife Betsy. They used it as a dairy farm. The quite first, a difference. Huh? <laughs> so that's quite a difference. Well, they had a they had a barn that they used, but they also lived in the barn. So mm-hmm. they, it was like a slash house. So there's no actual house on the property until Heinrich Mahler and his wife Marie they moved in in 1887. Twenty years later, they took over the dairy farm and. They built the first house there. Marler's wife passed away, and two years later, he passed away, they say, from grief. It's oh, just, my gosh. Just, and they were, old, they were older, so it wouldn't, you know. But I'm um, so, you know, it wouldn't like uh, he was 40 and this happened. So yeah. They were older. So I'm giving you a little bit of history about the ownership of the house. After the both of the Marlers passed away, there were two families, the Holbrook family and the Wood family. They both brought, bought the property and both of them moved in. Miss mm-hmm. Holbrook and Miss Woods were sisters. So that's how that the two families mm-hmm. intertwined. The two families moved in together and, and they start doing renovations. They give the, the house the nickname of White Gables. And that's what it was called. Jolene Wood, which she was the, the Mrs. Woods' daughter. She ended up getting married to a guy named Hall Street. Now, you may hear me refer to Hall Street as Park, because Park was his nickname. I, th- I don't know if that was his middle name or not, but everybody called him Park. Mm-hmm. And I think I wrote it to him ways in there. But Hall, Park Street. Once they got married, they took over the house entirely. So it was just them. Jolene, unfortunately, died of breast cancer at the age of 38 years old. Oh, my goodness. Her husband took her death extremely hard. And on August 5th, 1965, he hung himself in the bedroom with a belt and he hung himself from one of the bed's posters. You know, he had the long posters, uh, poles on the end of the the bed. So he hung himself in 1965? Yes. Yeah, we're going along here with all the owners. There's a lot of places, you know, people lived there 20, 30 years. Oh, okay. Keep remembering, after the... Holbrooks and the Woods moved in. This was her daughter mm-hmm. who got married. So that had to be, you know, years later. So yeah, we're in 1965. She died in the in the late 50s and he died in 1965. And like I said, he hung himself from the poster of the bedroom, his belt. Now you're going to find there's some discrepancies that we'll talk about later on his suicide. I'm just getting through the ownership and, and all that first. His death was initially thought to be murder but then it was later changed to a suicide. Like I said, we'll get more into that in a little bit. So let's discuss what we know so far about the land and the house. So we can build up to why there's so many hauntings here. So we know that 60 Mexican soldiers and one Texas soldier were killed on the property. Native Americans abandoned the property 800 years before Europeans settled in Texas. Some people say that they were killed off by a plague or something, which is why they weren't there. 
and others say that they felt the land was cursed and they just moved away from it. Nobody really knows what happened. Hmm. We believe that there is a Native American burial ground underneath the house. Yeah. And we know that Mr. and Miss Marler, Marler both died on the property. Miss Wood, her daughter Jolene, and her husband, Park, all died in the house. So now after Mahler passed away, they had a relative by the name of Carl Mahler who lived in Germany and his daughter, Sophia Louise, she was a spinster and she came there and she lived in the house until she was 82. She also died in the house. Okay. A lot of death going on there. Yes. All right. So now we're all caught up on the tragic events for the most part of the property. So let's talk about the paranormal side. I saw a post on River City Ghost that said that the Victoria Black Swan Inn could be studied as an entire course of a parapsychology class. Wow. There's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to talk about. That's, and this is what caught my fascination up. So the house has had several paranormal investigations over the years. And Joanne Rivera has owned the property since the end of 1991. She's the one who named it Victoria's Black Swan Inn after one of William Shakespeare's favorite pubs. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. I didn't either. This is her private residence. She lives there. she got a bunch of people that live there with her. It's a family affair. So she lives there with Victoria, which is her daughter, Nathaniel, her son, and Madison, also her daughter. Her friend Phil Ross lives there. Her grandson, Elijah, lives there. And Joanne's other daughter, Rachel, lives there with Meredith. So she's got a bunch of daughters. And Rachel and Meredith are her daughters also, but I think it's from, uh, they're grown. Yeah. It's from a previous marriage. All right. Her mom lived there for a while, but she died in 2012. At a bedroom in the house. Oh my gosh. What is happening in this house? So Joanne has opened the house up for paranormal investigators and television shows, including sightings in 1996 and ghost adventures in 2013. There have also been some well-known musicians perform here that have had personal paranormal experiences while on the property. Three of the artists are Jerry Jeff Walker, Flacco Jimenez, and George Strait. I don't know anybody but George. I figured you wouldn't. So let's cover a few quickies here on the paranormal side, and then we'll get into some longer stories at the end. Let's go back to the first family who lived there, uh, the Ripsteins. Wait, do you know what George's stuff was, or did you find that out? You know I tease. Oh. It's coming. Okay. It's not much, though. Oh. I'm just saying. Okay. The Ripsteins. They had a few children. It was his ex that lives in Texas. I was going to make a joke about exes <laughs> living. All of his exes lived there in that house, but I just didn't. It was too easy. So the Ripsteins had a few children. One of them was Gustav Julian. Some psychics believe that he actually haunts what was the part of the, the area that was the dairy farm. Remember, they started a dairy farm there. He's mainly thought to hang out in the barn with three other spirits who are very aggressive towards men. These spirits in the barn. Oh, are they men's spirits? I don't know. Oh. 
Good question. I don't know. Paranormal investigators have captured thermal images of what looks like a man standing behind one of the windows. Now, Henrik and Marie Mahler, we talked about them, they're also thought to haunt the main house. They appear mostly as shadows or in mirrors. Again, I don't know how they separate these ghosts. Is. Mm-hmm. Why, why would the shadows be the Marlers and not one oh, of the, I, I, mean, I don't know. Sarah Mahler was the Mahler's daughter. Maybe one had buck teeth or something. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> Sarah Mahler went by Susie. Now, she passed away after the property was sold off, but she apparently likes to come back to her childhood home. She's often seen behind the stairs and the patio. That's her two areas. She likes to play pranks, especially on strangers. I guess if you're dead, everybody's a stranger. Of course, yeah. She likes to laugh and she likes to sing and freak people out while they're behind the steps. She'll like sing or or laugh from behind the steps and freak people out. (laughs) She sounds fun. And then there's the elder Mrs. Woods, the original family from the woods that, Mm -hmm. that bought the house. She passed away in the house, and she said to haunt the downstairs bedroom. What's really sad here, though, is that people say that there's a feeling of oppression when you walk in the rooms, a sadness and oppression. And apparently, at the end of her life, she was pretty much treated like a burden. They took her out of a nursing home, put her in the bedroom to keep her there, but then it's like they just kind of forgot she was there and just... Did the bare minimum Aww. for her. So they said when, when she felt like she was forgotten by her family and when she died, she died in solitude. Oh my gosh, my heart. That's awful. So let's talk a little more about Park. We told you there was the suicide mm-hmm. controversy. So there's definitely some controversy. The Jolene Woods, she died of breast cancer, like we said, in 1959. In 1965, Park was found dead. Now, remember, we said that he hung himself from the poster board or the poster of the bed with a belt. And it was originally thought to be murder. Now, that's the story that's on the official Victoria's website. Okay? Mm-hmm. But looking at other sites, there are some other versions. One of the sites said that he was hung by his necktie from a rafter at a considerably higher height than he should have been able to hang himself. I was just thinking, how can you hang yourself from a bedpost? Well, you can. There's been other people. We've read other stories about people who hung from a bedpost. I mean, think about like Chris Cornell hung himself from a door by putting whatever he used, the... A exercise elect, uh, stretch band or something. And he said that he put it like over top of the door and shut the door and just oh. dropped his body and just let his weight do the rest. Yeah. And Robert Williams, same way. He hung himself from the door. So it can be done. And we've had people hang themselves from the taller headboards before. Because, mm-hmm. you know, some of these headboards in these Victorian homes, I mean, they go eight feet tall. Yeah. But anyways, that's what they said happened. But in this situation... They said he hung himself from a tie from a rafter that was taller than he should have been able to get to. And that's that same episode or a website said his hands were tied behind his back. Well, he can't do that. How can he tie his own hands well, behind his but back? But that's what I'm saying. So at the time of his death, 
there were rumors that there were buried treasure because he kept a lot of uh, jewels and money and gems and stuff like that in the south wing of the house. So people are saying that possibly he haunts there overlooking the treasure or, you know, that's the reason he's there now. But maybe the reason he was killed was somebody was trying to get mm -hmm. his jewels and stuff like that that he kept. But whatever the reason, they ended up deciding that it was a suicide. So I don't know which story is true. I don't know if he was from a rafter higher than he should have been with a necktie or if he was from the bed with a belt. But that's what's on the official website. So that's what I'm mm -hmm. tending to kind of go with. But the fact about him disputing it at the beginning was true. All right. So... This is a couple little small tidbits before we jump into the, the bigger stories. Some have reported hearing a military-style bugle early in the morning around the area. Others have spotted ghost soldiers in the gazebo area. That sounds like fun. In 2015, staff was setting up for an event when one person was bitten and bruised on their inner thigh by an unseen toddler. What the crap? And the thing of it is, this person was wearing a very thick uh, dress, a thick, long dress that shouldn't have been able to bid to. But it was like she's the person that wore the dress said that it wasn't something underneath her dress that bit. It was over top of the dress that kind of clamped onto her thigh. That's why she thinks it was a kid because of where it bit at. Now, I would that would have been enough for me. I'd been out of there. He said another person was pinched by a little boy and a little girl ghost. I don't know how they know this distinguished from a pinch, but I don't. I can only assume they heard laughing or mm -hmm. maybe some type of voice. And then also there were objects that were randomly taken and hidden in the woods. And this is all from that same event in 2015. All three of those things happened. The pinch, the bite, and the hidden objects. That's Spe bizarre. Speaking of which, one of my lost objects, <laughs> missing objects suddenly appeared today mm -hmm. out of nowhere. The leash that was missing from Ninja just appeared after I went to the store today and bought a new leash. I come home and I look in a drawer and there it is sitting there where it wasn't because I've looked several times since this thing went missing over a month ago. Yeah, that's crazy. Still haven't got back my razor. So I no. got back a $2 leash or $5 leash but didn't get back my $50 razor. <laughs> And I'm refusing to buy another one until, because I just know as soon as I do, it's going to show up. That's right. You know it will. All right. So I want to talk a little more about Hall Street slash Park Street. This isn't really paranormal. It's just really cool, but it's also going to tie in a little bit to the story we're going to tell, tell near the end. He was really good friends with a gentleman by the name of Earl Stanley Gardner and Raymond Burr. Hmm. Gardner is the one who wrote Perry Mason. That was his series. Ah. And he wrote several episodes of Perry Mason while staying at this house. He even dedicated the series to Park Street because he passed away before the series actually came out. Oh, from, really? From, I think that's the time that it came out. Anyways, in 1959... Street held a formal dedication to the Perry Mason office that he had had, and he invited the entire crew of Perry Mason to the house. To well, which that was most nice. Of them came. I'm sure. All right, so that's going to tie into a story later. So let's get into the longer stories. In 1973, the house was sold to Ingbird Marin, 
she affectionately started calling the house the Marin House. Why? Because that's her name. Oh, <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> I'm sorry. He was a, I said he, she was a native of Germany and she started a catering business at the house as well as owning the house. Her late husband, George, was a former diplomat in the Kennedy administration and he at one point was the ambassador of Thailand. Whoa, fancy. I told you a lot of the elite of San Antonio lived in this house. Mm-hmm. So they had a lot of huge parties at the house, and the elite of the uh, of San Antonio would come to this mansion. And in 1984, though, she decided to get out of the catering business. And she decided to lease the catering business to a young lady by the name of Faye Levitt until she could sell the house, because she still had the house. She wanted to move, period. Faye so, Levitt? Why does that sound familiar? I don't know. You're probably thinking of Faye Resnick. Oh, yeah, maybe that's Kardashian. what. Kardashian. Oh, that could be it. But anyway, so the, here's the gist of it. She lived at the house. She had the catering business. She wanted to get out of the catering business, but she couldn't sell the house right away. I'm sure it wouldn't like today's market where people buy it in two days. Mm-hmm. So she said, I don't want to be in the catering business. But we'll keep it going. You can run it out of the house. So that's what Faye did. She basically bought the catering company from her, and she just used all her stuff and ran out of the house until she could sell the house. Why you get in the catering business and then get, don't decide you don't want to do it no more? I don't know. I People choose to get out of any profession. Sometimes they just don't want to do it. And she had money, it sounds like. So she yeah. probably just didn't need to do the catering business. So anyway, so she gets Faye into this. Faye's taking care of it. And Faye at one time was a talk show host in the area, on a radio talk show host. There was a local station that had a, uh, a story called It's Our Time. And it was for senior citizens. And she had done very well with that and was very popular. So people knew who she was. So needless to say, her catering business became very successful. It didn't take long, though, before her and her staff realized that there were several spirits residing in the house. She would often hear music while no stereo or TV was turned on. Lights would turn on and off at will. Doors would lock and unlock by themselves. There were also numerous cold spots throughout the house, even on the hottest of days. In San Antonio, Texas, there's plenty of hot days. Oh, yeah, sure. So Faye vividly remembers one particular day when she was in one of the upstairs room, which was a former bedroom. She was getting ready to do some painting. So she's got two cans of paint. She opens them up. One can was for the walls. The other can was for the trim. And they so they were two completely different colors. Mm-hmm. She starts to paint. She hears a ruckus going on downstairs. She goes, check it out. Now she knows that she's the only one in the house, so this was concerning to hear a ruckus downstairs. I just like to say ruckus. <laughs> she rushes out and starts checking all the rooms. Nothing was out of place at all. She can't figure out where the noise had come from. She's confused, but she thinks, oh well, here's what it is, and she goes back upstairs to start painting. Lo and behold, while she was downstairs, her paint had somehow mixed together, and now both cans were all the exact same color. Why can't these ghosts just leave things alone? (laughs) On another occasion, Faye opened a door to an upstairs room that was an office slash study. She was surprised to find all kinds of papers and pictures 
scattered all over the room. It looked like somebody had been rifling through some papers looking for something specific. She gathered everything together, and during this process, she notices that they were all pictures and old scripts from Perry Mason. Oh, man. That's a neat find. And she knew that Park Street was a friend with uh, Earl Stanley Gardner, but she did not have any clue where these papers come from because she had never seen them before, and she still has no clue to this day what happened. Well, I mean, maybe he was in there checking out the script. You said he died before the thing started, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I could be off on that, but I'm pretty sure. He said he dedicated it. I guess you could dedicate a, a well, yeah, series so. to somebody without a dime, but it seems odd. Mm-hmm. But anyways, that's that's Faye's story. Now, she's she's been, this is kind of a funny ending to her part. Faye had been widowed at the time that she bought the house, so she mm-hmm. was single. In 1984, she remarried, and at this time, she was no longer associated with the house. So she was completely done at that point. She chose, though, to have her wedding at the gazebo on the grounds because it was such a beautiful setting. Jack Levitt, which was her son, was escorting his mother down the hill on her way to the altar. A photographer took a candid photo of the couple as they reached the gazebo. When the picture was developed, there was a woman in a white dress in the picture. She was strolling alongside Faye. Oh. Faye has a great sense of humor, and she said that the marriage didn't last very long, and she thinks that the marriage was hexed by the ghostly wedding guest. (laughs) (laughs) How cool is that, though? It is cool. We talked about Joanne earlier, the current owner. She's had her share of experiences, too. She said that several nights when it was raining outside, her daughter would awaken to find a wrinkly, old, evil-looking man peering into her upstairs bedroom window. Oh, crap. <laughs> she said there is no way that a human could climb up the steep pitch of that roof on the second floor to be able to do that. Oh, especially if it's raining. Right. Oh, that's so creepy. Joanne says that there's a large closet in a room at the end of the south wing of the house. She absolutely hates this closet. She says that her hair stands up on on end of her arms whenever she opens the closet door and she feels like something is always watching her when she's in it. Mm -mm. (laughs) There's some things I think I would be okay with, but something like that and some wrinkly old dude peeking in the window, I don't think I can handle it. Right. In 1992, we mentioned... George Strait. Well, we didn't mention him in 1992, but in 1992. Well, the truth, yeah. In 1992, George Strait had a special that was partially filmed at the house. During its filming, all the lights in the South Wing mysteriously came on without anyone turning a switch. Ooh. And that's all there was. That's why I said it really wasn't much. Oh. Hmm. Joanne says that teenagers are especially uneasy whenever they're in the house, mainly because of strange noises that the house makes. She also said that men feel more uncomfortable in the house than women do. Not really sure the reason. Joanne has heard the grand piano in the uh, drawing room playing on its own accord, 
One night she heard the music. She knew it had to be coming there. It's the only piano in the house. And she ran down to see who was playing the piano. But when she turned the lights on in the room, the music suddenly stopped. And she said that you could hear it progressively getting louder as you got she towards the room. So she <laughs> knew it was coming from that room. That's not the only music that she's ever heard. In fact, she's also heard a music uh, box type music. Like a little tinkle. Music box type music? Well, it's like, well, it might not be coming from a music box, but it's that type of music. Yeah. A little tinkly sound. Mm-hmm. She's heard it coming from the walls. <laughs> yes. Oh. She said, <laughs> she said at one point, the room that she used to use as an office was her, uh, was a gift shop, you know, so yeah. her, it's her office now, but it used to be a gift shop. She said there were many dolls that were in that gift shop and several times she would come in early in the morning to open up and she would find the dolls rearranged and the doll buggy was out of its usual place. She said it was as, as if some little girl had been playing with the dolls at nighttime when the store was closed. <laughs> Oh, good. Now, this is the last story. Joanne said that she had a strange visit one day. This was shortly after she purchased the, the place back in 1991. It was a woman from Dallas, and she was with another woman that had two small children. They just appeared in the house, she said. She didn't hear them come in, didn't see them come in. She just turned a corner, and there they were. Now, The Dallas woman tells Joanne that she just wants to look around and she explains that when she was a child back in the 1970s, she used to visit the house Mm -hmm. on a regular basis. She said the house was vacant at that time. And she mentioned that there were several hippie types that hung around and she would go up in the attic and play. Now, apparently she lived in a neighborhood that was nearby. Oh. So that's why she was able... She just walked up in there and went and played. Yeah, because it was vacant and she just could, I guess. So the attic had trunks of old clothes and dolls to play with up there, is what she said. She also remembers a music box among all the belongings that previous owners had left behind. Here's the creepy part, as if that wasn't creepy enough. She told Joanne that she really enjoyed all the people who would come up to the attic and visit her when she was up there. (laughs) She lived, like I said, in an adjacent neighborhood, so it was pretty common for her to come by, and this happened on a regular basis with her seeing these these other people. Why was she here on this particular day? Well, she told Joanne that she had been having some disturbing dreams about the house, and she felt compelled to come back and see it again. Joanne has never seen the woman since, but she said she's still creeped out by that visit even today. So I guess nothing happened at the house. I mean, she said she was compelled to come there. It would kind of make you think something was going to happen. I guess she just wanted to look around. I didn't have any more information. That wasn't, uh, I only found one reference that had that story in it. So I couldn't really find out any more about what else happened or Mm -hmm. did she let her go up in the attic or any of that stuff. The only thing that I saw that I didn't put in, which I guess I'll be putting it in since I'm talking about now, is she said that um, the one, there was an owner back in the 70s who spent many years. As a matter of fact, it was 
Miss uh, Mariner or whatever, or yeah, whatever the one I said she named the house mm-hmm. after her that, that she bought the catering business from. She bought the house in the 70s and spent many years fixing it up. So it would have had to have been before she bought it. Yeah, definitely. Because that would have been the only time it would have been vacant. Because after she bought it in the 70s, it wasn't vacant anymore for the rest of the time. That's so weird. I'm surprised that that lady wanted to come back and visit. You'd think as she got older, she'd be like, hmm, something was really not right about that. I don't know. It's pretty strange. Yeah. So anyways, that's that story. So let's do this. Let's take a really quick break from a sponsor, and uh, we will be right back. All right. Quick housekeeping. First of all, Dallas is 13 days away. There are still some tickets available. Definitely buy some tickets. We're going to be at Outlaw Barbecue. I've heard that place is awesome. And and how about this for a coincidence? Scott Clark, you've probably heard him on here. He, he hosts the uh, It's Going to Get Weird podcast. And we've had an ongoing joke about how he invited himself on the podcast and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. He randomly tells us, because we were talking about that bad review we got last week, which you guys loaded up on reviews this week. Thanks for that. We were talking about that bad review, and he's like, hey, I'm going to Texas in, uh, in about two weeks. Who, whose butt do I got to kick? Because the guy was from Texas. Mm-hmm. He left the review. And I'm like, oh, we're going to be in Texas in two weeks doing our show. And I said, uh, Dallas area. And he said, hey, we're going to be in the Dallas area. And I said, well, we won't actually be in Dallas. We're going to be in a place called Grand Prairie. He said, that's where I'm staying at, Grand Prairie. <laughs> Apparently, he's got rel- his in-laws live in Grand Prairie, Texas. And I said, yeah, we're doing our show at... Uh, at Outlaw's Barbecue, he said, that's my wife's favorite restaurant there. And oh, my gosh. This, and it turns out, though, they have to leave Saturday morning, so they won't get to make it to the show, but we're going to hook up on Friday night. Out How weird is that? Yeah, of I mean, things. of all the places, he's happened to be at the same place that we're doing the show, and it's a, more or less a smaller city, not, you know, yeah. actual Dallas, it, but it just, I just thought it was funny. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Anyways, get your tickets. We may allow tickets at the door, which we usually don't do. But um, we there's a lot of seats in that place. We can fit up to 100 people in there. So there, there'll be room to where we can do some stuff like that. If people want to come, we will allow tickets at the door. But I would advise people to go ahead and get them ahead of time. Of course, it's us, Leslie Fear. Uh, Tim Mullins is supposed to be there. And uh, it's going to be a fun night. So, all right. With that being said, next thing, Bobby Mackey's. 24th of this month. It's a Sunday, 12 to 3. That comes with a tour that is inside Bobby Mackey's, and there are only, I think, 10 tickets available. Yeah, we sold five today, I yeah, believe. Yeah, five today. So if you want to be a part of that, you need to hurry up and buy your tickets because that one sells out every single year. And honestly, it's usually already sold out. Mm-hmm. Even last year with COVID going on, it sold out. Yep. In real far in advance. So if you're going to do that, go ahead and snag that. And in Memphis, the 12th, which is a couple days before Dallas, that's a Tuesday night. We do still have the special dinner thing going on where it's uh, just us and we're going to sit around and at a, eat dinner and we'll tell you a story while we eat and we're just going to have fun for a couple hours. Don't that sound fun? Inviting. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like we need alcohol. All right. So I, I don't think I've got anything else specific to talk about, um, cause I, but I need to get those out because all that stuff's like two weeks away now. Mm-hmm. So Tracy, go ahead. What do you got? Okay, for iTunes this week, which there was very many, thank very many. Does that make sense? It'll work. Okay. Thank you guys so much. You guys are so awesome. We have Mojo Lobster, Sam Fardim, Amy Oriza, 
CC Not Carolyn, FHCCJVFD, Mary, Mary Hickson, This is Fake 713, Punky Clown, T Graham, Addie Kane, Pink Mish 23, I don't know if I said that right or not, Come Mom 5, B Wood 8188. It's D N S T I N. I don't know if it's Dunstan or not sure. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna <laughs> say right now. If you guys wait a minute, let me say the last one. <laughs> <All right. laughs> and our last one is Disneyland Dinah. Thank you guys. Your reviews were amazing. We love you guys so much. And I feel so bad because I feel like I'm not saying them right. She struggles every week with wondering if she's pronouncing the iTunes name right. Which most <laughs> of them, I told her, some of them are just made up. Like, I, I can almost guarantee the Sam one is probably Sam Farrell, even though it says like Ferndarn or whatever it is. And I, I can be willing to bet that the the not Carolyn was probably C.C. Collins because I know... She doesn't like her name to get uh, mixed up. That seems to be a common problem with people calling her Carolyn. So I guarantee that was probably C.C. Collins because that's her. Her name says not Carolyn. And mm-hmm. so I, I guarantee that's her. But if you guys leave reviews, if you could just at the end of the review put your name, first name or something, it would make it life a whole lot easier on her. And you don't have to. Seriously, I just I just I mean, then it's fine if you do. I just want to make sure everybody's right. Don't, that's don't, all. Don't puss out. <laughs> Well, thank you guys for your reviews. You were just saying before this, why can't these freaking people leave their names? Um, that is not true. <laughs> Shut your pile. <laughs> that is not true. That ain't true, y'all. He's crazy. I love y'all so much. And our Patreons this week was Andrew and Pat Irish. Thank you guys so much for your patronage. We appreciate you so much. And I just love y'all. I want to say this. Speaking of Patreon, on the 15th, I have worked up an episode that I am super thrilled about. It's very disturbing backstories on songs that you probably didn't even know had a disturbing backstory. So, and I found a bunch. We only do two on this one, but I can guarantee we're going to do other episodes of this. Oh, cool. These are popular songs that most people will know. Remember when we did Hotel California? Mm, yeah. And you were like, oh my God. Well, that really wasn't a disturbing backstory because we just talked about the lyrics. These are like true crime stories that people base the song off on. It might only be a couple of lyrics. Like in one of them, I'm not going to give the songs away because people will go look them up. But one of the ones that we're going to cover, it's only like really a couple of lines in the song. But the other song, the whole song is based on it. Hmm. And yeah, this is this was a fun one. I had fun. You guys are going to love this one. Oh, good. Sounds interesting. I guess that's all we got for tonight. Go uh, go check out Terror Town. Pull them up on YouTube. And if you're in the Cincinnati area, come see us Friday night. That's Friday night at 8 o'clock at Terror Town. We're going to be on the main stage. But I think they open at 7. We could get a tour of place and all that. We could go to these haunted places for, for free. How cool is that? That's no, really nice. So Very nice. I love it. All right, guys. That's all I have for you tonight. Thanks so much. We hope you guys have a blessed week. Take care. We love y'all.